Dharma talk title this morning is It's Ordinary. It's it is ordinary. We all have an idea what that particular idea is. Something being common, commonplace, ordinary. Uh, it's ordinary uh, in this context is pointing to uh, the nature of the mind. It's ordinary. And when it belongs to someone, it's not so ordinary. Then it's that special person that we are, that wonderful, accomplished person, so intelligent, so perceptive of what everyone is doing. Or else the other one, I'm a loser, can't get anywhere, I'm no good, I need more training. <laughs> what are you writing? I'm wonderful or I'm a loser. <laughs> it's a good note taker. <laughs> wonderful loser. So what's uh, this is something, uh, this teaching, it's ordinary, is uh, shows up in, in the Buddhist teachings, probably other teachings also, but in different lineages, the way this is, uh, um, uh, let's see, uh, I think uh, Suzuki Roshi in his book, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, says it something like, before awakening or enlightenment, I'm not sure what his word for that is, uh, it's, it's something very special. But then after, uh, I think he uses the word, it's ordinary. And uh, there's a teaching in, uh, that uh, is in my teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, his book, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, where he uses the Tibetan words, Tamogishepa. Tamogishepa means uh, ordinary mind. And it's considered an advanced teaching. I'm not sure why I put it in Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, because that's such a basically primary advanced book. In other words, it, he's like teaching out of both sides of his mouth through the whole book. That's why it's such an amazing book, because he's speaking a very ordinary, commonplace that anyone can understand. And yet, the more you read it, then it's ten it tends to draw you down into a deeper understanding of the nature of mind. So, Tamagishapa, ordinary mind. And then in the Zogchen tradition, Zogpa Chenpo, or the Great Perfection, it is referred to as Rigpa. And you could say it this way, we have flashes of that. We have flashes not of, of ordinary mind, which is ordinary, it happens all the time. Of course, mind is ordinary. But we have uh, flashes of the fundamental nature of everything, that that perception is without a comment. So it's just ordinary. Even, even saying it's ordinary is extra and too much. Sometimes this shows up for those of you who read poetry, like that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes it shows up some very, very simple expressions and words are very ordinary and yet completely profound. You read the, the poetry of William Carlos Williams, uh, early part of the last century. Very short poems, but or very ordinary things that he, you could say, elevated into uh, into a, almost a magical realm. The words are so powerful. Not just the words themselves, but their juxtaposition and their placement. So ordinary is not a comment you would necessarily make on what's happening to you. You wouldn't necessarily say, well, this is just ordinary. You might. Uh, the ordinariness uh, might come in flashes. There might be something that you can't think of another word other than that, that something is completely unique and yet is ordinary. This is why it's so difficult, because the self-centered mind, the ego mind, wants to lock down on something as a, it wants to treat, treat, it wants to treat this, you could say, profound insight uh, in such a way that it hangs on to it. That was a great yawn. <laughs> that was a good way. You're tired? Me too. <laughs> is that a real yawn or a fake yawn? Just an ordinary one. So 
Charlotte Joko Beck, the Zen teacher of the last century, has passed away now. Great teacher, a student. I think her teacher was uh, Maizumi Roshi, uh, another another one of those Zen priests from Japan. With they got a lot of bad press. So anyway, her uh, title of one of her books is uh, uh, I think is uh, nothing special. So it's a, a way of so it's something you want to communicate if you have some understanding of this. What this this whole material, this study of Buddhism and what the Buddha taught is about, based on your own understanding of it, then you begin to you begin to run into uh, aspects of your own thinking process that is ordinary. But if you if you try to look at it as ordinary, suddenly it becomes extremely bizarre. It's like look at your hand too long and suddenly you're not sure whose hand that is. Uh, look in the mirror too long, and that tends to happen too, especially if it's somebody else's mirror. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Or, or does it? So it's, I think what happens there is it's the idea that our assumptions are hidden presumptions about the nature of this whole display. Uh, we just take for granted that everything is separate. Everything is, has its own boundary, its own shape and size and color. And some things are really unique and special, and some things are just carpet beetle. You know, nothing special. You don't even want to think about them any, any longer than you absolutely have to. Whereas a peacock, are there ordinary peacocks? Yeah. A female is ordinary, kind of like cardinals. So the interesting thing about this teaching is it's, there's not some way you can kind of make everything be ordinary. That teaching of Rigpa, or great perfection, that everything is just how it needs to be right now. That doesn't mean relatively you shouldn't change something or move something or modify something. But the understanding of it is that it's perfect, that your deep understanding of everything, as you move to paint something red, uh, uh, move something from one place to another because it's a better place for it to be, relatively speaking, working in the relative world without any picking and choosing, that's the challenge of this kind of way of working with things. Very difficult to, to see things that are relatively not good, wrong, and still see that as the great perfection, and see that as ordinary, see that as profound and ordinary at the same time. It's, 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 it's not that they're the same thing. Might, might be going too far. Then we're trying to smush things together. I had a, a couple of other um, images from other teachers that, were, that talked about um, Rigpa, Tamagashepa, Ordinary Mind, not coming to the fore. Right? Yes? Can something be perfect but also need to change or need to be modified? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. How do you see something that simultaneously as perfect and needing to be changed? Practice the rest of your life. Train, train your mind so that your mind is so clear that it doesn't go elsewhere. If it goes elsewhere, you're dividing up the world into you know, voting blocks. Don't go anywhere. Everything, you're, everything you need to know is right here. It's very immediate and it's ordinary. And then when anything moves in that dynamic, you know exactly what to do. You no longer actually make choices about anything. You might not be able to do anything because there's no, nothing is moving in the way that would have to move in order for you to uh, take action on something. The way when I talk about that, uh, I usually say that's uh, patience. Wait until you have to do something. This doesn't mean if you're watching a burning house, you're not sure uh, because you're watching it from the inside, which door to run out of. You know, run. You'll find a door.
So it's mm -hmm. it's that kind of a thing that you you may need to put yourself in gear before you know what you're going to do next. That's frightening to ego. The ego mind wants to have some kind of a guarantee signed by someone who knows stuff that things are not going to go wrong if I do thus and so. We we all know, and we're probably maybe we're that person. We know someone who is going back and forth between a should I or shouldn't I? Should I? Should I do this or should I do that? And it's not that that should be stopped or pushed down or disagreed with, but just watch that very closely. If you if you don't do any, if you don't add to the scale by thinking about, well, this is not so good because 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 all the becauses are just add up to a you know, just that a bunch of reasons, but about 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 that there's a hidden kind of area underneath there that when we start adding on our thought patterns on top that we don't see, fundamentally see what that is. It may take some time. As it says in the, um, in the uh, sutra, um, and I never can remember which one it is, picking and choosing is a disease of the mind. What? Since in me? Is that it? Not that it'll trust, trust the only attorney in the room. <laughs> I, think, I think you're the only attorney. We had two attorneys in here yesterday. So, what? We have two attorneys. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, we have a debate. <clears throat> yes. Is seeing um, something as perfect and um, the original abrasiveness, are, there, are they two different um, qualities? So if you're looking at your anger and then you begin to see it as ordinary mind, is there a different quality to that? There could be, but I hesitate to, not only hesitate, I won't prescribe or describe what is going to happen for you in your mental uh, planetarium. The, the 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 karma that each the causes and conditions let's use that word that each each person is dealing with are so completely unique and yet similar. We all have some self centeredness. We all have some pride. We all all have some uh, a, a taste of hope and fear. Hope for this, fear that. We're all functioning in that similar way. But the the exact patterning for you in your life from the time you uh, showed up in this body form is going to be very unique. So you could say, well, is that ordinary? Yes. Isn't it also ordinary for the mind just to add? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, you're born and then the causes and conditions that show up here. So you've noticed that some people, even when they're 10 years old, you talk to, go find 15, 10 year olds or 11, and then interview them about anything. Pick a topic, interview them. And they're all, even though they're only 11, they all have really unique uh, not only abilities, but ca capacity for for thinking about anything you would ask them, and and already that early in life they're much different than different levels of intelligence, different le levels of uh, of hope and fear, different levels of pride. Very unique. Um, is there a way to work with ordinary mind when we're in a situation that is very seductive and mundane? So the way I talk about this is a heard me say this before, is whatever is happening in any situation, whether there's a passion, aggression, ignorance, or some kind of intense feeling or uh, for or a tense, uh, intense aversion, or some kind of wanting to, wanting to bail, wanting to shut down and go somewhere else, do something else, anytime that's happening, uh, the, the path quality of that, the ground is the confusion or the difficulty, and then the path, uh, working with that uh, as, as an awareness practice, is to include those, the other sense fields. Because quite often, anytime there's any fear, anytime there's any hesitation, anytime there's any paranoia about anything, all that awareness is just, we, we, 
we suck up into the thinking process to, in order as a defense, and it practically all the other senses get bleached out. You know, it's like nothing is happening in the, in the, in the auditory sense or the olfactory sense. So it just all that awareness goes into fretting about it. And you can actually because it's in the present moment because you're not, you're not trying to abandon what is happening. You're trying, not trying to abandon the negativity, but you're, you're with the negativity. You're going through whatever you're uh, or anyone is going through, and you include how this feels, how your clothes feel, the colors of things, a very simple... Um, very simple um, noticing of uh, noticing of any uh, what's the objects that are arising in the other sense fields to put it uh, simply, and something about doing that actually actually softens up the it doesn't get rid of the paranoia it doesn't try to shut it down but it uh, you're including things that are in the present moment how this feels is here so there's a, a, a and innate intelligence in all the other sense fields. They don't really think; they feel. They 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 have a. If you look at a, a if you if you just look at the color red, if something is completely red, a certain kind of emotional dynamic happens. Looking at, and if you look at something and you go to another color, it, it might be very subtle, but you can sense that change. Yes. Talking about the other senses, um, saying they have an intimate intelligence and that they feel. Are we able? Are we able to see a thinking process in the same way? Uh, maybe, but it's uh, if we try to go there and actually do that, then the doing part becomes just more thinking and elaboration and explaining, and uh, and then depending on your particular or my particular skill at thinking, you know, at uh, you know being an attorney, uh, it's a, having that someone who would be drawn to doing that kind of work, not to pick on Marla but has a, a way of working with things that is very, very uh, logical and practical and strategic and, and just good at, at sorting out all the bits of uh, apparent phenomena that are connected with any given situation. And even you know, naming them, about, making little mini evaluations about each one and then bringing them together. And then when they, when they start to come apart, taking it back apart and reinspecting everything again. Am I doing pretty good here, Marla? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Why would she disagree? <laughs> <laughs> We're not in court. <laughs> We're in court, she might. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, is, is that there's so many, uh, it, can get, it gets very complicated as soon as we go in with some kind of agenda. On the other hand, to go in with an agenda of just wanting to see what is actually happening, that's not so bad. And then, we, then there's a sense of openness, a sense of receiving. It's like, you hear a knock at the door and rather than go in the other room and think about who might be there. You might use that kind of an example where uh, that metaphor could apply to something you've been avoiding for years. It's just like you went in the other room and just not going to think about that. I'm just, uh, there it goes knocking again, but I'm not answering that door. Is there anything that's extraordinary? So extraordinary is a, a word that, uh, that we apply to something that is, has an intense contrast with all the ordinariness. But you can't have ordinary without extraordinary. You can't have those two uh, situations. So yes, but just from the point of view of you, how, you, uh, how you perceive it or how you a uh, apprehend that could be extraordinary. Is awakening extraordinary? No, it's ordinary. But it's, as, <laughs> as Suzuki Roshi said, until, you, until it happens, it's extraordinary. It's going to be some great awakening thing. 
and then when and, and it does uh, does happen uh, to be pretty flashy because uh, it's uh, quite an escape hatch. <laughs> Please keep interrogating me. <laughs> Can I repeat one of them? Mm, let's see. Uh, I can come close, but I can't. It's so precise. There's one that he, that it was a refrigerator note uh, that's about uh, plums. This is just to say. Huh? This is just to say. This is just to say. Do you know that one? This uh, is just to say. I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox, which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious. So sweet and so cold. You got it. That's <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful poem. Then he, then he has them about chickens on uh, rain on a red wheelbarrow. And, yeah, there's just so a, much depends. So much depends. Yeah, that's the title of that one. Yeah, good. Thank you. Do you want to say any more? <laughs> <laughs> so much depends uh, upon a red wheelbarrow besides the white chicken. Yeah. And I forgot the part of the rain. Yeah. The rain was on the uh, wheelbarrow. So, yeah. Can you recite, uh, if we're doing this, can you, <laughs> <laughs> can you recite uh, Pablo Neruda's uh, uh, yellow, yellow Heart? Uh, Amarillo. Oh. You know that? In, no. in, in Spanish? Uh, no. I just remember that mint. Mint, uh, the elephant's fodder. Yeah. Yeah. That's also. So the idea there is that something is brought together and it's so ordinary, you know, it's, it's ordinary, it's profound, it's, it's ordinary. So the questions would be good so I can stop tearing up here. <laughs> yes. Your title is It's Ordinary. What is the it's? <laughs> what? I heard that when you went into the kitchen. And we all sat down. Tanada, Tanada's uh, little uni uh, uh, unicorn. Where's your unicorn? Do you have it? Well, I think it's looking for you. <laughs> I didn't take it. You didn't go together. Huh? Okay. But, oh, it's out there. Is it? Yeah. I just took his away spots. <laughs> what a cutie. <laughs> well, why is that humorous? The only person that's not really smiling is Robert. <laughs> I have one of those in my car that I think it hurts. You do? <laughs> he does, yeah. Sounds like a mouse to me. We have a lot of mice. Okay, I'm gonna. Okay, Inara, squeeze it. <laughs> one of my teaching devices. Every altar needs one. Yeah, need something ordinary, like a speaker. What the question, Jess? What is the it's of the it's for you? This. This any situation. Uh, the next time you, the next time you, uh, everybody is going to do this. Is going to happen to everyone here, and I want to bring your attention to it. Is the next time you uh, get out of bed, you'll notice uh, you have a left leg. Here has a left leg. You know, just look at it. Just look at your you're sitting on the edge of the bed. You're getting ready to get dressed, put on your robe or whatever. And look down. Look at your left leg. It's ordinary. Yes, Michael. Is it not the thought? 
that's ordinary with the action? No, it's, uh, there's no, there's no, uh, I don't know the parts of speech, right? I tell you what that is. <laughs> but it's, ju it's just this. It's just, it's like, this is what this uh, little slogan on the, as it is. It's, it's just trying to, it's trying to help you, encourage you and me to, to not, not to abandon anything and not to grasp at anything and not to reject or fight with anything, but it's just this, always, it's always just this. There isn't anything else but always. Past and future are illusions. That doesn't mean there isn't something happen, happening that fools us. That's why we plan stuff. But as you've noticed, plans don't work because you, there's no way you can plan for something that uh, never gets here. What you plan for, it doesn't get here. Something else comes. And then you try to modify your plan to fit it. You notice that? Isn't that ordinary? Yes. You said it's what was so your name again? Junshu. Junshu. Okay. Thank you. You said it's so ordinary, it's profound. Yes. What is the concept of profound pointing at? That it's 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 beyond thought. It's beyond it's it's a it's a quality of beyond that is right in front of you. It's like uh, to to use the very fancy uh, words uh, temporal, temporal, and eternal. That if you look at what is in front of you, if you look at your ankle, this that's you're looking at eternity. Not because not doesn't mean you're a your ankle or your foot aren't going to go back into the elements. They will in 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 years or whatever. But, you, but, the, but the seeing that, you're actually seeing uh, beyond time and space to use some more relative. It's very difficult to continue to use relative words and concepts and point to something that, that doesn't have an existence in the sense that if it, if it exists, then it's going to die. Anything that comes into existence passes out of existence. That's that's why they call. It, that's why the one of the teachings of the uh, of the Buddha is uh, the four marks of three marks of existence uh, would be nothing lasts, everything is impermanent, everything is uh, discontent or not happy, or or is uh, uh, suffering, and the last one is everything is without any uh, central situation going on. Everything is without a self. There isn't. There isn't any. There isn't anyone. It's uh, and it's ordinary. Yes. It causes us to miss the profundity of our left ankle. Because there's a big difference between seeing that something's ordinary and thinking that it's ordinary. And we think things are ordinary. But to see, to see that, I'm not just talking about the eye. That's part of it. That's the, that's the sense you're using to do that. But to, to do that, you actually hear it, smell it, taste it. You Not, not just your ankle, but just that just the apprehension of that moment of looking there, that complete uh, uh, rigpa, tamogishapa, that is tamogishapa. I'm just using that as, a, as something that showed up. It's, you could, could just be, just, uh, it could also happen looking in the mirror the first time you look in the mirror. I started thinking of that dream I had last night. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody that dream. No way. Yes? What is in the way of seeing that? What is in the way? Fear. We're, we get sealed off in something called me, and we 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 continue to fuel that with uh, with uh, this and that. I like it, I don't like it. And the three poisons: passion, aggression, ignorance. So we seal that off. Trung uh, Rinpoche, his uh, metaphor for that uh, in his Shambhala teachings uh, was a cocoon. We we build a, a, a some kind of a structure around us of our ideas, our opinions, our hopes, our fears, our judgments, our evaluations based on ourselves, based on our society, what's right, what's wrong, who should, who shouldn't. And we seal ourselves off from that so that we're, we're not fearful. 
instead of the spiritual path is actually what you're doing is you're 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 going right through that cocoon. You're 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 not going to war with it, but you're you're going through with it. Your awareness practice is starting to uh, that cocoon starts to become very porous, and not only can you see out, but everything else can see in. So you might feel very vulnerable, and that's why it seems to be necessary to have a spiritual path. It's not something to believe in, but some way, some form of using whatever we have here, uh, our bodies and our, and in this situation, we have a temple, we have a monastery where that's all this room here is for us to train your mind, to see more clearly. It's not about believing in Buddhism. The Buddhism, believing in Buddhism is extra. You don't need to believe in anything, but you could, you can use, make use of this structure to further stretch and train your mind so you can see more clearly so that you can, at some point there could be, or points, there could be a time when you don't need to ask anybody about what Rigpa is or what uh, ordinary mind is. You see it yourself all the time. You see it all the time. Should I say that again? Yes. Uh, question from Shane down in Texas. Uh, two parts. Does pushing, pulling, ignoring prevent realization? If so, how? <clears throat> it doesn't do anything. What what gets in the way of realization is our uh, is a is our attachment and our lack of awareness about that. You can just watch pushing and pulling and shutting down. You can watch the three poisons, passion, aggression, and ignorance. And just by observing those, just by seeing when you're grasping, when you're pushing, and when you're shutting down or closing off, just by doing that, uh, eventually the, the self-centeredness starts to lose its fuel to continue to reestablish that cocoon just by witnessing it. So that's when the idea of uh, no elaborations, whatever occurs, no explanation, no justification, no elaboration. David? What's happening when we, someone tells us something and we go, exactly? Uh, ignorance. It's just the same as uh, we say something and then rather than just let it float in the middle of nowhere, we say, you know what I'm saying? You know, we have a phrase filler we put in there. Exactly as a phrase filler coming from the other side. I mean, it's, a, it's an agreement to say that. There's something else going on that looks more like, it looks like not seeing something. What, what do you think? How does it look to you? Uh, another question about it is, is there, an, is there an exactness in the beginning? Like when you say eggs? <laughs> before you say actly? Yes. Yeah. Mm, it's really easy for me to get into a whole lot of really terrible humor there. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Kevin wants me to do that. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, could you paraphrase your question? Because I think it's a good question. With... with Ordinary, uh, sometimes it, it seems like there's initial, some kind of initial exactness about it. Um, what, what is that exactly for? I don't know. I follow you a little bit, but not enough to, to help you look at it some more. And then the... Um, Where are you going right now? You're going, you just left me. Connection. Are we in the same room? I don't know. <laughs> ah, that's progress. <laughs> Go ahead and finish your question. And I want to say exactly to somebody that has just told me something heartfelt and profound. Okay. It's like I'm trying to accept them, but I, is, what, what is the exact thing to that? So, yeah, I, it, it, it fills it with, with some kind of, uh, of um, it strengthens the relative situation. It isn't necessarily communication. It's more like that's, that's how friends, friends always appreciate and like each other no matter, you can't do anything wrong. It's your friend. They, they love you no matter how big of an ass you are. 
Lunchtime? Say it's lunchtime? What? It's time to dismiss for the daily Dharma Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes we have in the hallway. As always, we do uh, continue to depend on and need your financial support. Please help us. Yes, we have to.